0: Welcome to part four of Unhindered. Uh, wow. Should I try that again? I'll come back out, y'all. Usually usually, y'all are a little more excited about the word, my God. I, uh, I, I want to jump right in this morning uh, to the message because um, it flows with what we've already talked about. What I, what I was talking about before I made the announcements this morning. I, I'm just going to ask a question. It's sort of rhetorical, but I, I'm certain that it will land with many of you. Have you either asked the question yourself or been asked the question, does prayer even work? Yeah. And if, and if you haven't answered uh, that question for someone else, you don't witness a lot. And if you haven't asked that question yourself, you haven't been saved very long. Because there comes moments in life where life kicks you so hard. Where life just punches you in the teeth. Even though you love the Lord with all your heart, with all thy might, and with all thy strength. Things happen that makes you question, is my prayers even working? And because of that, that's, that was actually a conversation that I had several months ago. And and that one simple question posed to me through someone else sparked this entire series that I'm doing. Does prayer even work? And we've been building up to this moment. And this morning I'm going to introduce some of the key building blocks that you're going to need going forward. As we do this series and we get into the aspect, because I told you at the beginning of the year there was two things that I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted us to do here at this church increase your faith, and, and intensify your prayer life. There, the, those are the two things I felt like that we needed to do. And we started the year uh, talking about flesh wounds. And that was a long series where we dealt with a lot of garbage that's inside of us. Strongholds and, and yokes and bondages and things like that. And that was a lot of the things that needed to get broken and, and, and out of us so that we could clear the way for the Holy Ghost to take us to another level. This is the series where we go to that next level. Because all of us know to pray. Most of us know how how to pray. But very few of us actually see the fruit of our prayer that we want to. Am I being honest? So I've called this series Unhindered. Where did that come from? I'm glad you asked. God gave me this verse at the beginning of the year. Job 42 And two, we're going to read it together, okay, out loud like we have for the past several weeks. Ready, read. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be. So we called this series Unhindered because this verse teaches us that God can do anything God wants to do. Amen. But this morning, I'm going to start talking about, and again, you're going to want to take some notes. If, if you want to increase your prayer life, today is the day we start putting some building blocks in place. Uh, things I've never taught, things I've never preached, because to be frankly honest with you, after all these years of serving the Lord, it's things I didn't personally grasp hold of as important until I started putting the other sermons together in this series, and I realized this is why Prayers are hindered because we don't start there. And that's going to be the message this morning, okay? Other translations to that verse use words like this. No purpose of yours can be stopped. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of yours can be hidden. No purpose of yours can be restrained no one can stop you nothing is impossible your plans are unstoppable that other translations of that verse use that phrase so, so so if this is a god and this is the god that you serve and this is the god that you have surrendered your life to why are the things that we desire to see happen hindered if this is true about him What must be true about us to see that? That's what I'm going to start doing today. Are you ready for this? If you're ready for the word, say, preach, preacher. Okay. I'm not going to preach a lot. Uh, I'm going to teach more than I preach. And and I'm going to to start in Judges chapter 14 with a very well-known individual. And, 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 And there was a man named Manoah. His wife had no children. And one day an angel of the Lord appeared to his wife and said, though you've been barren up to this point, you are going to have a child. And that child is going to begin, I don't have time to preach this, but he uses the word, your child will begin to get Israel broken free from the bondage of the Philistines. He was sending Israel a deliverer. He said, you're going to have a child. When God prophesies that you're going to be born, God's got a plan. He he has an idea of what he wants you to be. This boy, this baby, would be born named Samson. There was some rules for Samson. He, He told the mother, he said, while you're pregnant, which is probably a good idea for all of us, don't get drunk. Don't be drinking wine while you're while you're pregnant, and after the baby is born, don't cut his hair, and don't ever let him drink wine. And and, and so, the Bible says that Samson was born, and Samson is a great character study for 2023. And, and here's why: I, I'm, we're going to jump right into the uh, Samson is already born. Samson is already, uh, he's, he's already operating in God's plan for his life. And in verse, chap, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. Stop right there. This is step one to finding yourself in the struggle. A pretty girl catches your eye, and then your story begins. Verse 2, When he returned home, he told his father and his mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Verse 3. Her father, his father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? They asked, why do you got to go? Ain't there no Church of God women out there? Ain't there no Pentecostal women out there? You, why do you got to go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father. Notice he didn't say this to mama, he said it to his daddy. She looks good to me. Because he knew the old man would understand. Uh huh. Man, how, many, how many men have gotten themselves in trouble over that one thought? She looks good to me. <laughs> that this is the beginning of struggle. Okay? Verse four, his father and mother didn't realize, and this is this is my whole sermon is based on this one verse. His father and mother didn't realize that the Lord was at work in this. Stop right there. Some of y'all have prodigals. And and my prayers aren't working. I've been praying for my baby to get saved. My prayers aren't working. I'm going to read verse 4 to you again. His father and mother didn't realize that the Lord was at work in this. Somebody say, that's the wrong woman. Uh, Y'all are so timid this morning. Who's in here that's making everybody timid? Say, that's the wrong woman. Uh He wants the wrong woman. And yet, verse 4 plainly says, God was at work in this. It's the wrong woman. He's making the wrong choice. He's chasing after the wrong passion. And yet it plainly says, the Lord was at work in this. And how? Creating an opportunity to work against the enemy. Is this on? The thing... That he shouldn't want, that he shouldn't chase, that he shouldn't do, God was working in it. See, this is why Samson is a great character study, because he lives his life the way a lot of folks do today. He makes his choices not on what God says, but on his feelings and his emotions. Samson chases his passions. He doesn't chase God, which is so goofy, Because when you read the Bible, you see that God uses him. He doesn't chase God, but God still uses him. And it's strange because even though he's not fully engaged, I stand up here every week and I try to get you engaged, get your heart engaged, get your mind engaged, get your spirit engaged with God. I spend my whole ministry trying to get folks engaged. And Samson wasn't engaged and yet God was still using him. Why? Because it was God's plan before he was born that he was going to use him. That was God's will. It's God's will to use Samson. And even though Samson makes bad choices, it will not stop God's purpose. Some of you mamas and daddies that's got wayward children ought to be clapping your hands right now. Because it's almost like God has to fight Samson... To use him. It's like God says, I've got a plan for you. Samson says, I don't want that plan. I want this plan. And God's got to wrestle Samson just to get him over here. But he ends up getting him there because it was his plan. And in this passage, Samson finds a woman he wants. His passions got him messed up again. Samson and Delilah's relationship was the very first. You didn't know this. It's not in your Bible. This is methamology. This is the first time Facebook status was ever changed to It's Complicated. Right here in your Bible. Here here he comes. (laughs) He finds this woman. He comes home and he tells mom and dad what he wants. Those of you that have grown kids. You ever had your kid come tell you a plan that made you want to drink the whole bottle of Pepto? (laughs) Those of you that's got little ones so far, just wait. Wait. Your turn's coming. (laughs) Hold on. You think changing diapers is tough. (laughs) Wait until they can make their own choices. (laughs) But yet, he he has a terrible plan. It's the wrong woman. It's the wrong passion. It's the wrong thing to chase. And yet, look what verse 4 says. His father and mother didn't realize that the Lord was at work in this. It was creating an opportunity. Now, this is where the story goes off the rails because most people assume when God is working in something, it ought to work. I trust in God. My Savior, who what? Never fails. I'm not going to do that. That's not my gift. I'm a one talent, one trick pony, all right? I know my gift. I stay in my lane. He will never fail. We just sang it. God, God can do anything. Job told us in Job forty-two and two he, that his his purpose is not hindered. So, so we said, so if God is working in something, it should work, and it shouldn't just work. It should work excellent. It, it should work. It should work with perfection. Can I get an amen? And, and yet here's Samson. Here's Samson. He's a Perfect example of how God's plan sometimes looks messy. How can God's plan be working and it look from the outside like an absolute train wreck? God, what's this look like in your life? I got to make it practical. God, if this was your will for me to work this job, why is this job so hard? Why is this marriage so hard? I know you told me not to get unequally yoked, but I didn't know I was yoking myself to that. If <laughs> You hate divorce. I hate divorce. But look what I'm yoked to. Y'all not going to help me. God, you said that my children are a blessing from the Lord. I poked my head in that room a while ago. Nothing I saw in there looked like a blessing from the Lord. Why is this so hard? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like if this is God's will, why is this so? If you're working in this, God, why is this so hard? Here's the first lesson we learn from this passage, and we're going to use this over the next several weeks. God's will is not meant to please you. It's meant to position you, uh, to maneuver you, to direct you. And sometimes he does it kicking and screaming. You ever went to Walmart and heard one of them youngins back sassing their mama? And your BC version of yourself started rising up? Oh, I'm the only one? Y'all going to leave a brother hanging like that? Listen, I will come unsanctified on a child that I have never met before in Walmart. Forget I'm a bishop. Forget I'm a pastor. Forget I am saved. Because all I can, I, listen, they start back their mother, and I can taste my daddy's backhand in my mouth <laughs> listening to them <laughs> talk to their mama. And I want to snatch them and say, give me 15 minutes with this child, and I'll bring them back, and you won't even recognize who they are. <laughs> But, but, but have you ever seen one of those mothers? I, and I'll just talk about my wife because she's here. She can't hurt me in front of witnesses. <laughs> so our second born child, some of you know him as Jared. Some of you don't know him. Let me introduce you to little Jared. We were having class on Wednesday night at the old location. Much smaller room than the one you find yourself in currently. Uh, we didn't have that many people in the church. Jared was just about three years old. He was just a little tight. And for several weeks in a row, my wife had had to leave church, not just leave the room, take him all the way up to the parsonage to wear him out because of the way he was behaving on Wednesday night in front of God and everybody else. And one Wednesday night, I guess he had a brainstorm that he could divert enough attention toward himself and find enough sympathy amongst God's chosen folks that they would find it in their heart to rescue him in his plight. Because as I was teaching class, I saw my wife once again snatch him and begin to take him out of the room. Have you ever saw a child be taken somewhere against their will? Well, that's what my son looked like. He dug his heels in. He fell to the floor. He thought gravity was his friend. His mother had a hold of his arm. When she got tired of dragging him, she bent over, picked him up, flung him over her shoulder, and started down the aisle. At that point, my son on cue starts frailing his arms, kicking his legs, and screaming at the top of his lungs, No! Don't let her beat me! (laughs) and daddy knew he was getting beat (laughs) if he wasn't before he was now he just punched his ticket he was for sure getting the beat when he got back to the house can I tell you I tell you that story to tell you that sometimes God treats me the same way He is taking me where his will is for my life, and I'm on his shoulder kicking and screaming, saying, no! Somebody help me! That's not what I wanted! I wanted this Philistine woman. I didn't want this. See, some of us have the idea in our mind that God wants the same stuff for us that we want for us. So five years ago, Uh, We moved into our house that we live in now. We got all new appliances, and and I bought uh, a warranty. It was called a trouble-free warranty. Recently, our dishwasher uh, messed up. It broke. And I had to call for this trouble-free warranty. And and the guy came to the house because when you buy a trouble-free warranty, it means that as long as it's under warranty, uh, they'll come to your house, and they'll fix anything that's broken. The manufacturer backs up their product, and they will fix it. No questions asked, no matter what it is, and they'll take care of it. And the guy came to the house, he had it fixed, and in a couple weeks when the park came in, everything was fine and dandy, and we didn't have to lift a finger, we didn't have to pay nothing because we paid it up front. And some of you think that when you got saved, God gave you a trouble-free warranty for life. And you think that just because you, you came up to the altar and said a prayer, that, that you are never going to have any trouble because God's will for me Can't be trouble. I mean, God surely wants me to be a size two. Surely God wants me to be happy. So the Philistine woman that I see and want, surely God's going to let me have her. That has to be his will because what parent doesn't want their child happy? And so we have this idea that because we got saved, we're never going to see any trouble. But can I tell you that the will of God drove Jesus into the wilderness where he had a face-to-face encounter with the devil? It was the will of God that drove Jesus up onto Calvary where they laid him on a beam and killed him. And that was God's will. Uh-huh. So when we're about... When, when we're just about ready to find out what God's will is for our life, there's some questions we have to ask, and that's what I'm going to dive into this morning. When we got ready to move here, we were from Southern West Virginia. We were from You can't get there from here, West Virginia, McDowell County. And we got ready to move here. God had spoken to my heart and her heart independently of each other, and told us that this is where we were supposed to go. And can I? <laughs> we got we got one person, person happy about that. And can I tell you that when I went to the Lord with fasting and prayer, I never asked him about the school systems that existed here. I never asked him what street we would live on or what the economic projection was for this community for the next decade. I had one question God, is this your will for me? And can I tell you, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. The secret that is in your struggle, you will never find it until you get in the st- We want God to preview everything before we ever enter in, but you don't find the secret until you're in it. And when we got ready to move up here, it was a struggle for me to know whether or not, because I was leaving everything. We were leaving our family. We were leaving our friends. We had never even been this far north. I didn't even know this place existed. And I, and I was told by people, you don't want to go up there and preach the way you preach. Then people don't know how to worship God up there. He said, he said, you can't go up there and preach the way you preach. You're going to have to leave that hoop down here. I got two people laughing because only two people know what hooping is. And gun came down and said, I do it. You're gonna leave that down here. You can't bring that up no. I was told so many things, and it was a struggle for me to know whether or not it was God's will. We prayed for seven years for God to bring us to Weirton. And it was a struggle when we found a 90-year-old schoolhouse that needed renovated from the very top to the very bottom and when I was out here this time of the year when it's ninety degrees and I was doing this whole room by myself it was a struggle for me to know is this your will God or did I jump in could it be could it be is it possible that part of the struggle that you are living with is because you're trying to have your will and have God's blessing on it? Could it be that the reason you are struggling is because you are demanding God open doors that he himself has closed? Mm. I'm, I'm going to get a little deeper into this. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. And the rest of you, you're on your way. Hold on, baby. Because if you love Jesus and your heart is right, you really want God's will in your life. Somebody say yes. You really want God's... But there's a whole lot of you down in here that wants what it wants. We've already found out in flesh wounds that the carnal heart wants what it wants. And it is never, ever going to be satisfied with the things of the Lord. God's will refers to what God is willing to do and what God wants to do. This is what God's will is. When I first moved here, my accent was so thick, Everybody, every time I said God's will, they thought it was on his car. So I learned 21 years ago to start putting W-I-L-L on the wall so you'll know what I'm talking about. This concept is very important for the next few sermons because we're going to get deeper into prayer and we start answering this question, does prayer even Work And if it does work, why aren't I seeing the results? But for today, when we begin to ask what the will of God is for our life, I want you to understand that before you can have effective prayer, you have to understand God's will. I'm going to teach you something. Are you ready for this? God has three wills. <laughs> And this is not something that happens after God dies. (laughs) He has what's known as his sovereign will. His sovereign will is the things that was always going to happen and they always will happen. Okay? If you want to know about God's sovereign will, think about yesterday. What happened yesterday? The sun came up and it went down. That's God's sovereign will. It was God's sovereign will that you did the same thing. You got up. Some of you never got out of your pajamas, but you got up. You got up and you went down. I know you did those two things because you're still here. I'm looking at you this morning. That was God's sovereign will. It was God's sovereign will to send his son. It is also his sovereign will that one day he's going to send him back. It It was God's sovereign will that one day these old mortal bodies that have Rice Krispies disease, snap, crackle, and pop, these mortal bodies will give way to a new body and then there's going to be a judgment and that's God's sovereign will. You can't stop it. I can't stop it. All the armies of the earth can't stop it because it is his sovereign will and it will be done. The second kind of will God has is his perfect will. I'm teaching you something. Is this okay? Because some of you are, are answering questions from people who say, why don't if God is so holy, why does he let this happen? If God loves, if he's all love, why does these things happen? Why are there tornadoes? Why are there hurricanes? We're going to be answering those questions over the next few weeks, but it starts right here. Here, his perfect will. His perfect will is for you to love God over everything. That's his perfect will. His perfect will is for everyone to be saved. I hear people ask the question all the time, well, if he's he's such a good God, why would he send people to hell? Number one, he hasn't ever sent anybody to hell. His perfect will, his perfect will, his perfect will is for everyone to be saved. His perfect will is for you to love your neighbor as yourself. Some of you will say, well, if God is so great and he answers prayer, how come I've been praying about this situation with this person and it's never changed? Well, his perfect will is for you to live in unity with everybody. His perfect will is for you to live in harmony and to be a brother and a sister to everybody. That's His perfect will. His perfect will is for you to live holy and never sin. <laughs> I'm, I'm, glad you got my, I'm glad you got that. That's His perfect will. But the third will of God is where we find ourselves in trouble. This is His permissive will. See, God allows you to make choices. And it's God's will for there not to be any crime. People will ask you the question, well, if God's so holy, why are there child molesters? Why are there rapists? Why are there abusers of mankind? His permissive will is why that's, these things happen. Because His perfect will is for there to be no addiction. His perfect will is for there to be no heartache, no fighting, no perversions. That's His perfect will. But the reason these things exist is because of his permissive will. What was God's perfect will for Samson? That he never cut his hair, that he never drank, and that he follow him and all of his plans. And the first time Samson saw a Philistine woman, he forgot God's perfect will and started operating in his permissive will. Are you with me? God's plan is this. He says, I've got a perfect plan for the world. And if you will follow my perfect plan, you'll be happier, you'll be healthier. But I'm going to give you free will. And I'm going to let you make decisions for your life. And he allows you to make choices that you have to suffer the consequences of. And when you get outside of his perfect will and you start operating in his permissive will, that's where you start finding a problem with prayer. Because all of a sudden the things that you're asking for aren't working and it's because, and, and then you want to blame God because his book tells you it should. But how far out of the pages of the book did you stray? Chasing your own thing before you finally decided to bring it back and ask God to back his book up. Oh, it's quiet in this mortuary this morning. So how are we supposed to know the difference? How are we supposed to know what his, prayer, uh, what his will is? How, where we're at and how to get back in it? I'm glad you asked. The mystery of prayer. I know I'm a pastor, but I'm going to be the first one to admit there's a whole lot about prayer that is a mystery to me. There's a whole lot about prayer that I, I think I understand and then I have to go back and realize maybe I wasn't as sure as I thought I was. Because prayer is hard work. And one of the hardest parts about prayer is not knowing whether or not it's working. Because, listen, listen. You're wanting to know the will of God for your life. So the pastor says, pray about it. Okay, I prayed. Now what? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I pray all the time. I don't ever feel any smarter. I'm the only one. You're so quiet this morning. I don't ever feel any closer to God, any smarter. I don't ever feel like, boy, I got a deep revelation this morning. I just pray. I don't hear some big booming voice saying, on Monday morning, go west. Talk to a man in a yellow vest. He will have the answers to the quandary to which you were placed. No, I don't get that. He doesn't instruct me like that. I wish to God he would, but he doesn't. Most of the time when I pray, can I let you all in on a little secret? It's just us. Most of the time when I pray, I can't even tell if it's working. Because when I get up off my knees, the thing I was praying about is still the thing. Like, I, I, wouldn't it be great if it was like Clark Kent turning into Superman? Like you just went into the phone booth, you went into the prayer closet, you came out. blah. blah, blah, blah. Like you got the, the whole outfit on. You got you're full of faith. I got the shield of faith. I got the sword of the spirit. Don't, don't mess with me today, devil. But that's not, that's not the case. A lot of times I come out of prayer calls and I'm tireder than I was when I went in. I, I'm more sleepy than I was. I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm beat up. And I, and I don't feel like anything. Has, am I the only one? Okay, but I want you to know that there's one thing that you can know for sure about prayer. Number one. God always answers it. Okay, we're building. This is the week where we build, okay? God always answers prayer, but what happens is when you pray about something and it doesn't happen the way you prayed it, you get discouraged. And you say things like, I don't know if prayer even works. The reason we don't think it works is because we don't understand what prayer is supposed to be about. Some of you with kids know that kids will ask for the most outlandish, dare I say, stupid stuff. And you don't say yes to all of it. Uh, Does that mean that you did not hear your child's request? Oh, you heard it. How could you not hear it? Everybody at Walmart heard it. I heard it. In all seven, I want the jump in. I want the bicycle. I want the doll. We all heard it, but here's the thing: prayer is not about asking God to accomplish your will. It's asking God to perform His will. So we're going to talk a lot about that in the coming weeks. That's why I told you to take notes today. The key to getting our prayers heard and answered is the will of God. The the, the, the key to getting your prayers heard and answered, the key to it, the mystery of it, the thing I haven't always understood, I've just recently in the last few years began to understand this, it is the will of God. That's why God wants us to not only do His will, but He wants us to learn how to pray His will. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. John says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to what? His will. He hears us. Now this word confidence in 1 John 5, the word confidence was a political term. It referred to freedom of speech. And it's not the way that you and I believe freedom of speech to be in America. What it means was it meant that a person could stand up in a hall of justice and claim things that they had a legal right to. And it was called freedom of speech. So John is saying that in order for your prayers to be effective, you have to be free. You have to know what you are asking for is something you have a right to have. I hope I'm not going too deep on a Sunday morning because some of you seem zoned out. Do you understand what I'm saying? In order for you to have effective prayer you have to know that the thing you're praying for, you have a right to it. John's saying that if you want your prayers to be effective, if you really want them to get where you want them to go and do what you want them to do, those prayers have to be free. Free of what? Well, they've got to be free of your selfish desires. They've got to be free of what you're trying to do because God will not be manipulated. They've got to be free of what you think you need. How many prayers do you pray because you think this is the thing I need? And God laughs at how smart you think you are. Remember what Jesus told the disciples when the disciples said, Master, teach us to pray? He told them what? Your kingdom come. Your will. Nowhere in that prayer did he teach them to pray their will. He said pray Your will be done where? On as it is in. In other words, your prayer life is not designed to manipulate your will to happen in heaven. Your prayer life is designed to have heaven operate on earth. Big difference. Big difference. So before you go to God in prayer, you need to predetermine, God, whatever you want, That's what I want. I do not want you to allow me to ask for anything that is not your will for my life. And this is harder than you think it is. This is tougher than you believe it is. So before you can ever get a prayer answered, he has to hear it. Do you love me? Can you tolerate truth in 2023? Everybody that posts prayers on Facebook ain't getting them up to heaven. Look what this scripture says. It says, this is the confidence we have. This is the confidence. John said, this is the confidence we have. Who is we? Who is the we John is talking about? True followers of Jesus Christ. The only people who can pray with this kind of confidence are true children of God who can go to God as their father. Listen, teach us to pray, Jesus, our father. He did not say our eternal master, creator, sovereign Lord of all. He told you when you pray, pray to him as he is a Father, Because it's one thing for you to pray to him as Adonai. It's something else for you to pray for him as El Shaddai. It's another thing for you to pray to him as Almighty. But when you pray to him as Father, it changes the relationship. And it changes how you respond to him. Let me help you. I'm a Christian. I believe in being a giver. I believe in being compassionate to those that need compassion. And there are children in my neighborhood. And if I found out that there was children in my neighborhood that were hungry, I would certainly provide food for every hungry child in my neighborhood. However, I've got three people on this planet, my children, who don't have to wait for me to provide. They walk right into my house, open up the refrigerator, and take anything they want because they know me as their father. I'm not letting every kid in the neighborhood do it. I will provide for them. And see, the difference is some of you are sitting here in this room, and you don't realize it, but your father has provided for you. I know you don't give him the accolades. I know that you don't respond to him. I know you don't pray to him. I know you haven't received him as your Savior, but you wouldn't have food in your stomach if it wasn't for him. You wouldn't have the strength to hold that job if it wasn't for him. He put the air in you lungs. He keeps the blood flowing through your veins. He has been good to you even when you don't acknowledge him. He has kept you. He has protected you. The plans of the enemy got so far and God said, that's far enough. You're not going to get them because they're not yet mine. He has took care of you even when you didn't acknowledge him. You, you're not in his kingdom yet because you're not one of his children even though he has been providing goodness to you. But those of us that know him as daddy... Those of us that know him as our Father, we just open up the front door and we say, what do you got to eat in here today, Daddy? Oh, I've got it. Uh, So what John says is this, when you walk into the presence of God and you say this, God, I'm here for one purpose and one purpose only. I only want what you want. I, I want all my selfish desires to go away. you that's how you get God's undivided attention. If you want your prayer life to be powerful, you got to crucify your desires. You have to put aside what you want, and you have to come to Him and say, whatever you want is what I'm after. And, and, and when you keep reading the Scripture, you find, out, you find out that in order to do the will of God, you have to know the will of God. But in order to know the will of God, you have to seek the will of God. And here's here's one of the truth bombs that I'm going to drop on you that's going to be very important in the coming weeks. God won't show you what He wants you to do until you show Him you're willing to do it, whatever it is. He won't show... Until he knows he has all of you invested in his will, he won't show you what his will is. He will keep it hidden from you until he knows it doesn't matter what I ask of them. Abraham did not know that he was going to ask him to sacrifice his son Isaac. He didn't know that. Until he committed himself totally to God, and then God said, here's the plan. I want your son. Once he got him up on the the mountain and he got ready... He didn't see the ram. He didn't know the ram existed. He didn't know that this was a precursor and a shadow of Jesus that was to come. He didn't know any of that. He knew that even if I plunge this into his chest, God somehow, some way is going to raise him from the dead, so I'm just going to be obedient. And God sends an angel at the last saying, I said, don't do that because now I know I can trust you. Now I know that whatever I ask of you, you will do it. I'm going to show you the plan now that you've showed me. You're all in. So, fam, are you all in? I know you want your prayers answered, but heaven is asking this morning, are you all in? Does he have all of you? Because until he knows that you are willing to do his will no matter what it is, he won't show That's the secret in the struggle. If you truly believe that God wants what's best for you, then the greatest desire of your heart should be to find the will of God and to do the will of God. Because your greatest danger is to refuse to do God's will. We can pray with confidence, John said, that He will never give us anything that we want. But He'll always give us what He wants. can, Can I beat that a little bit? Some of the greatest blessings God has ever given me was stuff He didn't give me. Do you understand what a mess your life would be if He gave you every harebrained thought that came across your lips? Stuff you begged Him to do in your life. If God would have said yes to everything I ever wanted I wouldn't be here today. I'd be rich and successful and have a bunch of hair. Surely that's the Lord's will for my life. Surely He wants His children blessed. I wouldn't be a pastor had I hadn't got raised in 10 years. I would have never been a pastor if I would have got what I prayed for. And yet, this must be God's will for my life. Let me give you a little secret. God is best at knowing what is best for you. And you're not so hot at it. Because (laughs) you've asked for some stuff that had it not been for the Lord on your side, what would you be married to right now? You ever look back on something that you prayed about and said, Oh, thank God I dodged a bullet there. Have you ever got out of a relationship and been like, "What was I think- What was I drinking? Like, what? Thank God I got loose from that thing, but you couldn't see it when you was in it." But you- I gotta quit. God wants you to know that He wants the best for you. Amen. Be willing to use everything you've got, or stop asking. Samson did not appreciate the built-in advantages he had. He was stronger than everybody else. He had the favor and the anointing of God on his life. He had wise counsel and wisdom from his mother and father. And he didn't use any of it. You know how exhausting it is to try to help folks that fights their help? I used to try to force myself to help people. They'd say... Oh, I'd like to see this done. And I would just step in and ta-da. And I, if I had the ability, I would just do it. I'm over fighting people to help them. There are people that willingly want help, and I have chosen because I only have so much energy. I'm going to put my energy into the folks that want my help, and I'm going to quit trying to shoehorn myself into people's existence. If they don't want my help, then I'll just take my help and go somewhere else. But, and, and, and the same is true with God. Listen, if you won't use what you have, why would God send you more of it? If if you won't use the help that he's already provided to you, why why would you go to God and ask him for more help and you haven't utilized the help that you have? Ooh. Did I touch a nerve there? I heard a story years and years ago. Obviously, it's not true. But I've used it many times through the years. There's a man trapped on his rooftop during a flood. And a guy comes by in a rowboat and says, Jump into the boat! And I'll save you. He says, no, I'm praying and believing God that he's going to rescue me. And that guy goes away. And a guy in a bass boat comes by with a trolling motor on. He says, hey, I'll, I'll help you. Get in my boat. And the guy says, no, I've got faith. God's going to send help and get me out of here. And the guy left. And then right about the time the water was about to take him over, a helicopter showed up and lowered a ladder and says, climb up and we'll rescue He says, no. I believe in God. I have strong faith. God is going to rescue me. And the water washed his house away and drowned him. And when he got to heaven, he got to have a discussion with God. And he said, God, this horrible thing happened in my life. Why didn't you protect me from it? Why didn't you help me? He said, I sent you a guy in a rowboat. I sent you a guy in a bass boat. And I sent you a helicopter. What else did you want? And some of you in your prayer lives look exactly like that foolish guy. And, and I'll prove it to you. Look at 1 John 5 and 15. And if we know that He hears us, we already established, if you're saved, if you're a child of God, he, he hears you. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what was asked of Him. We know. Oh, they didn't put it up there. And if we know that He hears us, if we No. Thinking something is an opinion. Knowing something is a conviction. We have way too many opinions and not nearly enough convictions. God says, when you bring your prayers to me, I don't want you to... Think that I'm going to hear you? I don't want you to hope that I'm going to hear you. I don't want you to feel like I'm going to hear you. I want you to know that I hear you. And then you will pray boldly because you'll know that He responds to your prayers. Look at your neighbor. I'm I'm going to quit. I can tell you're getting tired. Look at your neighbor and say, "God answers every prayer." Mm. He answers every prayer. He answers every prayer. But he does it in different ways. Get this in your spirit. No is an answer. I know I just hurt some of your feelings because you never heard that before. You got a trophy for everything and nobody ever told you no. But no is a sufficient answer. When God tells you no, your challenge is don't pout, don't quit, don't get bitter. Know that the reason he told you no was because yes was not the best. You have to trust, I trust the Lord. You have to trust that God wants what's best for you, not his permissive will. Now, sometimes, I'm a, I brought you down, I'm going to build you up. I hear no from God, but sometimes I hear yes. And I'm like a dog that's wagging my tail when he says yes, but can I be honest with you? Yes is the least likely answer that I get from God. Maybe you got a different relationship with Him, but yes is the answer to a really small amount of my prayers. Sometimes, most of the majority of my prayers is this. Yes, but. In other words, God says, yep, I'll give it to you. But what I give you is going to look a lot different than what you prayed for. Mm -hmm. I prayed for money, and he gave me a J-O-B. Wait a minute, God. I prayed for money. What's this 60-hour work week thing that you gave to me? Then there's this answer to prayer. Yes, but not right now. Because sometimes you think you're mature enough to handle a thing. Hear me. You want it, and maybe it's God's perfect will for you to have it. But you're not ready for it right now. So he will say yes, but not right now. Samson fell in love with a troublemaker. It wasn't bad enough he went to Philistine and picked out a woman. He picked out a Kardashian. And he would not quit until he had her. Which means sometimes you take a lot of wrong steps in the wrong direction, but it does not stop God from working his plan in your life. Samson, Samson goes to a party, and he makes up a bet with these Philistines. A riddle. And he makes a bet based on that riddle. And these sneaky Philistines go to that woman and try to get her to get the answer. What a sneaky woman he has fallen in love with. What a sneaky woman he has given his heart to. How can God, do you remember, do you still have verse 4? Can can you throw verse 4? His father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this. How, How can the Lord be at work? He didn't. His father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this sneaky woman. His father and mother didn't realize that she was a Kardashian, but God was working. His father and mother did not realize that even in this turmoil, this chaos, this mess, that Samson created himself, that God was still in control. And how does that work? Because at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. I'm just going to paraphrase it. At the end of the day, this woman, we'll just call her, I'll, I'll make up a name, Chloe. She ends up with one of Samson's friends. They run off together because God never intended for the relationship to work out he permitted it but he would not let Samson's uh, destiny be derailed by this woman so at the end of the day this woman leaves with his friend he gets so angry leave that verse up he gets so angry he attacks the Philistines what's the rest of the verse? It was an opportunity. It created an opportunity to what? Work against the Philistines. Samson would not work against the Philistines until his heart got broke. Samson would not lift a finger against the enemy until he got sad. Once he got in a situation where he felt abused and neglected and hurt and heartbroken, something that God had put on the inside of him rose up and he began to fight against the enemy. Could it be? that all of this mess and chaos confusion and things that have been coming against you is working for your good because it's about to get you angry enough to where you say devil that's far enough you've come up against me for the last time I am ready to fight you should have left me be you should have let me asleep but I am angry and I'm ready for war Samson Never lifted a finger against the Philistines until he was injured by heartbreak. So, I want to know how many people understand how to praise God in front of closed doors because there were things that I pounded on the door and begged God to open in prayer and I did not realize he was saving me from every delilah that was on the other side listen what we learn from Samson is you are always one decision away from a totally different reality you are one choice Away from a totally different situation. Before she ran off with his friend, these sneaky Philistines come to this sneaky woman and they say, Hey, that dude is superhuman strong. What's his what's his what's his secret? Like he he took a jawbone of a donkey and killed hundreds of Philistines, and they watched him do it, and they said, "Hey, go talk to him because we want to know what his secret is to his strength." Now, y'all 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 will understand this. Y'all from my part of the world. Ooh. Remember in Sunday school the felt boards. Every felt board Samson I ever saw, he looked like He-Man. He had that long hair and them great big Jack muscles. I mean, he I don't know what steroid he was on, but he was on some serious stuff. I mean, every felt board Samson I ever saw as a little kid, he was, man, he was jacked. But don't you think if he was built like Arnold Schwarzenegger, they would have known what his secret was. If he would have walked, jacked-up muscle man, there wouldn't have been no secret. He's strong because he's strong. Samson didn't look like we think he did. He was able to do things that didn't look right, that didn't appear right, because his secret wasn't on the outside. There was something strong on the inside. There was something on the inside of him that was not easy to discover that made him strong. So they came to this woman and said, hey, find out what his secret is to his. If I could use my imagination, I'd say that every morning there's a, there's a board meeting in hell. And the devil pounds his fist on the table at every one of them devils and says, we've done everything we know to do to break her. And she keeps coming to church and raising her hands and she's frail and weak and sick and tired and she doesn't feel like it and she lifts her hands and she still gives him praise? After everything we've done to her, how is she still so strong? What is her secret? You're frustrating hell right now. You're frustrating the enemy's plans for your life right now. Don't you quit frustrating him. Don't you quit till, till we see the breakthrough. Don't you quit frustrating him. And there's some of you in this room that hell asked the same question about. How are you still doing it? Who do you think you are? I put sickness on you. I brought divorce into your life. Your kids won't speak to you. You've got an addicted uncle. You've got a kid that's that strung out on drugs. Some of you kids, uh, some of you got kids that are in jail. Some of you got kids that are estranged from you and haven't talked to you. And you've got family problems. And you've got addiction running deep into your family. And some of you fight anxiety and depression. And your mind's not stable all the time. And everything don't go exactly the way. And it seems like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and falling back. And hell wants to know this morning what is the secret. To your strength what has kept you going this long why are you still here how come on a sunday morning when there's nice weather outside you still got your marriage together you still got your hope you still got your faith you're still believing in god what is it that has kept you going hell is trying to break you and you are still here and you won't quit you won't quit your mouth being open with praise you won't quit lifting your hands and giving god glory what's your secret You are gathered here this morning in the company of witnesses that has watched your ups and downs and ebbs and flows. And we're the only one that knows your secret. Hell don't understand because they don't have the relationship you got. Your secret is, I trust the Lord. Sing it, sing it. Sing it real softly. This is your secret. Every person in this room. Every person in this room. How are you still going? How'd you make it this far? Why haven't you quit yet? Some of you have suffered divorce. Some of you only wish you would have got divorced. What is the secret?